your comic book pit. Okay. Founder and co-host of Comic Book Pit. It's a uh, comic book-based podcast. We record locally here in Pittsburgh. We've been uh, recording since 2008. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background. Uh, myself and the guy at the end there, Scott Headland, we started recording Comic Book Pit. Like I said, back in 08, uh, we added our third co-host, Jared Catherine, who's sitting right here. This in 2012, and then this summer our Friend and recurring guest, Sean Atkins, joined the uh, CBP family. He's sitting right there as our fourth host. It's more like an intern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. intern Sean. Um, but uh, we're excited to be here today to talk about the independent comics community here in Pittsburgh, uh, which is, let's face it, one of the best cities on the face of the earth, right? I think we can all agree on that. Um, but I think this is a special town, and some of the best people you'll meet you know, either in or out of comics, hail from this area, and I'm going to introduce you to some of them right now. At the very end, like I said, that's Scott Headland. Uh, Scott creates comic books in his home near Imperial, Pennsylvania. Over the past 15 years, Scott has contributed pencils, inks, colors, covers, and letters to books and web comics, including Weirdlings, Fairhaven, Chaos Punks, WZWA, World of Arenda. Super Haters, Pack of Lies, and In No Way Memorable. Uh, sitting next to him is Jim Rugg. Jim makes comics, books, drawings, illustrations, and designs. His books and comics include Street Angel, Aphrodisiac, The Plain Janes, Rambo 3.5, Notebook Drawings, and Supermag. He's exhibited drawings at I Am 8-Bit, Gallery in 1988, Mondo, and the Society of Illustrators. Honors include an Ignatz Award, the Pittsburgh Foundation's Investing in Professional Artist Grant, and AIGA's 50 Books, 50 Covers selection for the best design books, and you can find him at jimrug.com. Next to Jim is Wayne Wise. Wayne is a freelance writer and artist, and he's the co-creator of the Zurich Award-winning comic Grey Legacy. He has four novels uh, under his belt. He serves as the resident comic scholar for Pittsburgh's Toonsium down in the um, down on Liberty Avenue. He also teaches comics and popular culture at Chatham University, and he works at Phantom of the Attic, Phantom of the Attic Comics uh, in Oakland. And then sitting next to me, the man, the myth, the legend, Marcel Walker. Uh, he's a visual artist, writer, 
photographer. His freelance projects includes, include Hoots Pal, Superheroes of the Holocaust, and Comictanium, the super materials of the superheroes. In his independent comic Hero Corp International, he has recast himself, his friends, and associates in a world of corporate American superheroes. So that is the panel for the next 45 minutes. And um, so I'm just going to ask you guys some questions and can, you know, if we want to go down the line for the first <coughs> series of questions and then free it after that. However, you know, anyone can just jump in. Um, but Marcel, I'll ask you first, um, when were you first aware that Pittsburgh had a comic scene or what was your first exposure to it? Uh, um, gosh. You know, I have people tell me that they just considered me to always been a part of the scene. I mean, I personally know that I've always wanted to make comics, um, so I've been making them since I was little. But, you know, when was I first cognizant of, of our scene? Oh, the last 20 years or so. Um, gosh, and it's a little hard to answer just because it's things are so much different right now. There's so much... Um, they're so much more interconnected. Like, it's just more visible. It's more present. And, well, yeah, because I'm old. So <laughs> a lot of this predates the Internet. Like, before the Internet, I mean, it was just who you met and who you knew and who you networked with that way. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, eventually, like, I growing up and going to school here, I didn't have a lot of – I didn't really have any friends or anybody I knew who wanted to make comics. I knew people who, who bought them and who read them or like the pictures, but I didn't really know anybody who wanted to make them. So that's why I started just making them myself. That's why I started just doing all the things and writing and drawing and learning how to print and all that. Um, it was probably really when I first started going to comic conventions. And I, was it you? Somebody just told me, like, the first Pittsburgh Comic Con was in 93, I believe. Yeah, I mean, there were conventions before that, but the one called the Pittsburgh Comic Con, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess that would have been where I first figured out, well, I first saw other people doing what I do. So I started planting the seeds for me of just just having a network, having, you know, a community. So for me, that's when it started. Great. Thank you. Wayne? Yeah, I guess um, I'm older than Marcel. I first comics convention I ever came to was at Duquesne University in 1981 uh, and met other people then. There was an organized group called the Pittsburgh Comics Club at that time, which was one of the first organized comics clubs in the country. So Pittsburgh's always had a really pretty vibrant fan scene here. Uh, I didn't live in the city then, but I mean, I met people then who were doing stuff, but you know, pre-internet, no email, I didn't keep in contact with them. Uh, always wanted to do comics. Late 80s, there was this big underground thing, mini-comics. You would go down to Kinko's, you would draw and write stuff, and you'd go down to Kinko's, and you would make your own comics and sell them through the mail. And if you could find people through magazines and fanzines and that sort of thing. But in the early 90s, I could count on one hand and maybe half of the other, the people I knew who were doing it. Myself and my friend Fred, who I collaborated with, our friends Gordon and David Wayno and Don Simpson. Uh, Ron Friends, who's downstairs. Ron Friends has worked for Marvel and DC and everybody else for 30-some years, 35 years. I mean, I knew Ron through the convention circuit, and he was working as a professional. But that's different than the small press scene. Um, I'd have killed for the scene we have now in 1992 when, right. when we were doing the mini comics because we were just we were 
you know, we were on an island by ourselves writing and drawing comics and hoping someone out there would read a blurb in one of the fanzines and order something and you know, send us a dollar and a quarter for postage. Uh, but yeah, going to the conventions, that's where I met, probably that's where I met all of you initially, is the conventions at the store um, and just how it has grown. Um, and yeah, I've worked with Scott on projects and I've worked with Marcel on projects and uh, I, I'd forgotten. I ain't that story of Barry Links down there. He has a copy oh, yeah. of that. So I like, oh, I've worked with all these different people doing stuff. But seeing how that has grown, uh, working at Phantom of the Attic where people bring in, I mean, we, we've always tried to be real supportive of the local scene. If you're making comics, bring them in. We'll put them out, put them out on consignment, try to help you find an audience and sell stuff. And I think a lot of the stores around here have been real good about that sort of thing. Uh, we were selling your self-published mini-comics. Before you were rich and famous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right now you have yeah, someone. Yeah. Oh, we have some right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I moved here in 2000, and with the intent of making comics, I graduated college, and I knew one other person that was somewhat local that wanted to make comics. So we would meet every week, and we lived on opposite sides of town. So we would meet at in Oakland. Uh, it was kind of a center point at the comic book store, and then we would go after we looked at comics, we would go and get coffee and look at comics that we were working on sort of as an incentive to make us work. Like you didn't want to show up and not have something new or something good. Although looking back, we didn't have anything good for many years. Um, but that group started to uh, expand a little bit. We started to meet other cartoonists. I was aware of a few of them from comic book shows. I was aware of them from finding uh, small press comics in stores and then you know, seeing like a mailing address that was local and thinking like, okay, this person's here. Who is this guy? Yeah. Do I know this yeah. person? How do I meet them? Because um, I'm a big advocate for community. I think it makes, uh, you know, making art can be hard, and having other people that are sharing that experience can be very useful. Um, so, I don't know, probably 2001 or so, I, I had a group at that point that I was able to show work and get feedback and encouragement and, and inspiration from the work they were producing. So, early 2000s. Yeah. Uh for me, I, I think like recognizing a, a comic scene um, probably came more with the podcast, but originally um, I just approached some people at the show, probably, it was probably Pittsburgh Comic Con 1996, and um, that turned out to be a good, turned into great friendships with my friend Brian Babiak and Barry Link, and uh, Brian and I collaborated on numerous projects, and that's when we actually had Wayne uh, join us on a couple inking projects for that too, which was incredible, like an incredible couple of years of working together. So, um, but that didn't reach out to the community. That was more of us just doing it because we, we like to do comics. Um, but I think and you can purchase those on Scott's table downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, uh, when Dan and I started the podcast, we just did that for fun, too. We just wanted to do something to, like, hey, we get together every week and we talk about comics. Let's let's do this. And um, But then all of a sudden, uh, people knew us. And then people would reach out to us and say, I also draw comic books. You know, and then that, and that's what happened is that community started growing out of that because, it, like, just the, the interconnections, like, we both, we shopped at Phantom of the Attic where Wayne works. And... Um, the daytime people that knew who we were. And I never had been there in the daytime. So then it was like I met all these people through that. So And then I find out that they're into comic books. And then it just it just 
from there it just has snowballed and you know I mean it's like what you see here today yeah and um, I, I think the store I mean our store certainly and I think conventions it is it's the place where these things come together and people meet each other and you you meet like minded people and it's when you find someone else is doing it it's where everyone knows your name yeah so yeah it really is cheers for um, comments so if, actually one thing I wanted to add is an addendum because um, Wayne made me think of this. The question being, you know, when when did I become aware of the community here? Before I guess I could even say I became aware of a community, you know, I became aware of other artists and, you know, Ron Friends, who we mentioned earlier. Ron Friends, Pat Olive, and actually the first one for me would have been Don Simpson, who's downstairs. Like, they, these were the first three professionals who I knew who lived and worked in this area and who were actually kind enough to take time and allow me to come to their studios and see them work. Because prior to that, I'd read about this. I had heard, you know, again, before the Internet, like, I, I knew what I had dug up. But this was the first time I actually got to see people work. And I, you know, I've always said, the first time, the time I sat down with Don Simpson, I was like 18, I think, and he invited me over to his studio. And I just, in the space of, I don't know, two hours or so, I learned more in two hours than I, I had in the 18 years prior to that. Just everything. I watched him ink with his brush and learned how to, oh, that's what you do with that thing. And, and it, just looking at the, just looking at the books he had on his shelves. Um, you know, my, my tastes had always been predominantly mainstream. I had aimed for a career making ma- mainstream comics. And he just had stuff I'd never seen. And it still took me years to kind of adapt to that. But that's when I became a little bit more cognizant that, oh, there are people who do this here. I I can't say I made that leap to knowing we had a community, per se. But I did become aware that, oh, okay, so this is is a thing. And I can do this here in Pittsburgh. And and there are other people doing this in Pittsburgh, people whose work I'm familiar with. You know, the first comic that I remember getting that Ron Friends drew, I was like 13. It's an issue of what if. There's, I just passed a collection of it downstairs. I may buy it and make him autograph it because I can't leave Ron alone 20 some years later. So I don't know. He'll he'll give you shit. Well, of course he will. <laughs> well, Marcel, it's funny you mention that because, and I'll I'll maybe lead in with what you just the last thing you just said. So my next question is, if you can remember the first local comic you might have read or purchased or the the first thing you kind of remember as being like, oh, wow, this isn't Marvel or DC. This is something I bought in my hometown. Probably one of Barry Link's comics, quite (laughs) honestly. That's funny because you go downstairs and seek, go downstairs and find Barry and don't tell him that this is where you heard it. Barry's kind of like the poobah in my mind of our, 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 he's been doing this Forever, and he just knocks so much work out. Twenty-five years. Yeah, like, and, and he, has, he has literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of, of art that he's done for his characters, and just keeps knocking it out. And he was self-publishing in the '90s, and he puts it online now, and just tireless. Um, yeah, I mean, Ron Friends is the first person I knew. I met Ron before he got his first professional assignment at that first convention I went to. But his work stood out to me then, just the level at which he was working at that first con. Just you know, I saw his portfolio and was really amazed by it. And within the next year, I started seeing his name. Like his first job was Kazar at Marvel. Then he started doing Star Wars books. That's when I first saw him. Too. And he's the guy. First appearance of the black costume on Spider-Man and Amazing yeah. Spider-Man. He's the guy who did that. And uh, the Superman too. Yeah, he, he, did, the, he uh, did Superman some in, of that in the nineties. Yeah, he's like an incredibly long run on Thor. Ron's drawn everything. Um, 
I thought that was cool just because uh, that Star Wars was what led me into comics in the first place. So um, when I bought it, that he was my first favorite artist. And then years later, I moved to Pittsburgh and found out he lived here. So I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, someone I looked up to just lived right there, you know. I, our uh, our Zurich Grant, for those of you who don't know, the Zurich Grant that, that he mentioned that I won, Peter Laird, who's one of the co-creators of the Ninja Turtles and a multi-gazillionaire, uh, for 20 years gave out grant money to self-publishers. This was in the days before the Internet. This is in the days before crowdsourcing and, and that sort of thing. And uh, my friend Fred and I, who were doing many comics, applied for it and won very fir- one first ones. And Peter Laird paid for the publication of this book in 1993. Um, we were going to conventions then, and, like, we were one of the only local self-publishers. Don Simpson, I, that first book I bought by someone in Pittsburgh who was mm-hmm. self-publishing, the Don Simpson Megaton Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. one. And, like, us and Don would be at a convention with our books. And at that time, you know, nobody was doing there wasn't that same kind of scene here. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you, Peter Laird. <laughs> uh, just to be funny, uh, I, I, it wasn't my first book to buy, but I would say uh, Jim Jim's. Uh, what was it? Oh my God, I forgot the name already. Outfitters. Outfitters. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, the Outfitters <laughs> was one of his original books, and you know that was one of those things too because it was. Uh, completely different than a Marvel or DC comic, so, I mean, it was one of those things, too, you know, like, what is this, you know, but, uh, it, but I remember it well, <laughs> so, and, uh, but, no, just for Jim, I, what I always liked, too, was, uh, he always, he would, uh, experiment a lot with his art styles in the books, and I think that was what was cool about him, so, because he put out a couple t- issues of it, but then it, it, they would be completely different <coughs> from issue to issue, and uh, so that was neat because that you know was just that idea of it can be different every issue, mm-hmm. you know, something break you know break ground kind of thing. So that was a big attraction for me too. Indie comics, mm-hmm. um, you know, like everybody, I think pre-internet, everybody that got into comics read Marvel and DC because at least for me that was what was available. I didn't have a comic book shop in my town. So I just had, like, a spinner rack at the newsstand. And then once I found indie comics, it was kind of like, oh, man, you can draw, like, anything, you know? Because, I mean, like, I would see drawings outside of comics that were this, you know, the history of art, right? Like, everything you can imagine. But in comics, especially Marvel DC, they had what were known as house styles. So everything kind of was pared down and made sense next to each other, you know, if it was a crossover or on the same rack. And then once I found indie comics and realized you could just do whatever you wanted, Okay. Well, and and some of you already mentioned um, your first work. Um, So part of my the next question was, you know, what do you consider? You know, for for those of you who didn't already mention it, what do you consider your first published work or your first mass printed work? And where and how did you distribute it? And how was that received when you first kind of broke ground on that? Matter what order we go in? No, whoever wants to. I don't. I don't know if I've even had anything done. There <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I've done a lot of a lot of freelance work, and that's actually what I started doing first, like comics related, but not strictly comic book work that was mass produced. But no, I remember, and I, I don't know where this falls in your history, but I remember one of the first indie books I bought was the Smoking Guns. Oh my gosh, yes, I have <laughs> somewhere in my. My milk crate of indie 
books that I have collected over the past 15 years. I have a smoking gun somewhere signed by you. So, so from smoking guns was my, I had worked on this thing for years, and then I was I was teaching classes out at Pittsburgh Center for the Arts. I was doing that for years, and I realized I need to actually put this together. I need to have this physically out there as a comic book, a book book. So long story short, I actually arranged to take a sabbatical from my job informally, but my boss was really good at the time, and he, he knew what I was doing, so I just took a couple months off from work. I planned for a year to do this. And I, I self-published a comic, you know. So, yeah, I guess that's my first one because um, I did the whole thing. You know, I did the research. I checked into Diamond, so it went through Diamond, Diamond Distributors. So it was in comic shops. I know it even got out to England a few copies. It wasn't many, but it was a few. Um, what? I did everything on that book. I wrote and drew and penciled and inked. And it's funny you would say that because I've over the years had a number of people Say Mikey Wood, who's another artist writer downstairs. He he tells me like he he remembers getting that. That was I guess that was sort of formative for him in seeing. Oh, you can I can do this. I can make my own book. Um, I haven't done anything with smoking guns in quite some time. Actually, the sequel to that book is half done and has been half done forever because then I just moved on to other things. And those characters are really giving me a hard time. But that. That was my first. Yeah, that was, God, that was 97. So, yeah, that's when I did mine. Yeah. Okay. I, I talked about the Great Legacy thing. We'd been doing this, I say, going to Kinko's and making copies and selling it through the mail before that. I have all kinds of other pre-stories, but we've only got so much time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we can skip some of that. Um, I did some professional inking in the 90s with Malibu Graphics, who was yeah. probably at that point like a Dark Horse IDW level publisher. Okay. Um, um, my first was Street Angel, and it came out of, I was making mini-comics, uh, as Scott said, a lot of different uh, styles and different stories, and I did one called Street Angel about this homeless skateboarding kung fu master who lived in a really tough city that was overrun with ninja gangs and stuff, and um, the response was good, and I liked drawing it, and in the process we had written more than one issue's worth of material, so... Um, because the response was good and we liked it, I sent it to a publisher called SLG. Uh, I don't know if they even still publish. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but they were a small indie publisher in the in the 80s and 90s, and they agreed to publish it. So that was my first published work, and they did five issues of it and then did a collection of it probably around 2005. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> these guys are, you know, they, they have more credentials than I do. But... Uh, I think for me, I, it was kind of a, I was working on two different projects. One I had just worked on for years was called Fairhaven. Um, and it just, it was a start and stop project. It was one of those ones where I kind of really learned, you know, everything as far as drawing a comic book. Uh, but then we, we kind of shelved it and we started on another book called World of Verenda. And we did it weekly for a year and we just did, Let's just do one page every week, and by the end of the year, we'll have this this big book. And that was actually my first published work that I took to comic shows. Um, and then, like a year or two later, I actually finished Fairhaven. So, I mean, there was a happy happy ending to that story. But um, yeah, I'd say World of Veranda was my first uh, complete story that I, um, you know, took to shows and and had that as a, a completed work. Just to kind of 
piggyback on that, how do you, um, you know, looking at that first work, how do you view it now as a, I mean, not to, obviously not to compare it to your current work, but how do you view it as a, an experience or um, the process? You know, how, how have, maybe how have things changed for you as far as the process or, again, like, yeah, how do you just view that work in general? And anyone can just jump in if they have an answer for that. They're all <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm still very proud of the Zurich Grant thing I did 20 years ago. I, I have no problem showing it to people and sharing it. Uh, there's stuff that Fred and I did in 1986 that was a precursor to this that I would have to kill anyone if they saw it. <laughs> 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 so. um, this is actually a reprint of, of the original Street Angel stuff that I did, not the mini-comic, but the series. And um, I'm pretty critical of everything, uh, especially my own work. So whenever I finish something and once it's sent to the printer, I try not to look at it because once it's sent to the printer, you can't do it's anything over. about it yeah. except fret. So um, the, the book went out of print shortly after it was published. The reception was pretty good, and it went out of print. And then recently another publisher I was working with asked me about reprinting it. And I went back through after not looking at it for many years and, and was, you know, happy enough with it that I thought, sure, it should be in, mm-hmm. you know, if he thinks it should be in print, I agree with that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. more or less happy with it. But I had done, like Wayne says, years worth of comics before that. Those are going to stay out of print. Yeah. Stuff <laughs> <in there. laughs> um, I'm proud of my what I did. You know, like, it was it was good stuff. You know, I also take into account how old I was, my level of experience, all that fun stuff. And I'm more accomplished now. And, you know, to, now, to be fair, you go back with everything you did. You know, I'll look at something I did last week and go, oh, how's that? Every now and again, though, you, you do that thing that really holds up. And you can look at it and you go, I did that really well. Like, that one was a good one. If I can, you want to try and maintain the level of the best of your work. I think that's, that's the goal. That's my goal. But, you know, smoking guns anyway, you know, I, I, the book, the artwork, I'm a, I'm a much better artist now because I've drawn a lot more. But in terms of like what I took on at that time, because I was 23, 24, and I didn't really have, I, there wasn't this, you know, I couldn't just go online or I didn't really even know who to ask questions, but I really wanted to make that thing happen. So I look at that book, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm more proud of what I chose to do and that I did it. And at the time, a number of people said that they were proud of me. So, you know, that also feeds into it. You know, I, I did something, I accomplished a thing, and other people are proud of me, and I want to keep that going. So, you know, it all feeds into it. I'm going to piggyback on that just to talk about and, and to move on to another topic. I mean, if people are doing it now, I mean, if any of you are in the audience who are wanting to do this or get involved, I mean, in so many ways, it's so much easier now than it ever was. I mean, with this yeah. stuff, I mean, we were we were the publishers. We yeah. this was printed someplace in North Dakota. You know, we had to find printers. We had to, you know, figure out how to deal with distributors. We had to do all that stuff. And now you can you know do your stuff and go online and find a place that will publish print-on-demand copies, and you can get one copy or a thousand copies or whatever. There are all kinds of ways to do that. And if you're you know if you're wanting to get the work out there. Posted on Tumblr, you know, uh, Vagrant yeah. has become a New York Times bestseller, and you know, she started out just posting it online. Um, but I think just in terms of the scene, the local scene, the community thing we were talking about, there's a lot going on. If you're in the city, 
go to the comic shops because most of them are going to be pretty supportive of at least putting your stuff out. I mean, that's where you can meet other people who are doing it. Um, we have the Pittsburgh Zine Fair, which has, what, 40 people set up a couple times a year selling their self-published work. Uh, in the spring, we have PIX, which is the Pittsburgh Indie Expo. And same thing. It's a, just a really pretty big convention of self-published local people. And we have people traveling in from, from out of town. Uh, right now, the, the Pittsburgh Tunesium, which is a block away from here on Liberty Avenue, has an exhibit called Drawn in Pittsburgh that has work from, what, 40 artists? You have the list there. A lot of local artists yeah. on display on their walls. So if you just want to see an incredibly wide variety uh, I'm, I'm hyping it. I help curate the show. But I, I was pleased to do so because you know, I've been doing this forever. I know so many people who do this, and I was introduced to artists and their work who I'd never heard tell of before by doing this show. Uh, and the breadth of stuff that we have from incredibly you know, long-term professionals, people who have been doing this for, for a really long time. Some of Jim's stuff is there. Scott, you know, Marcel, they all have pages on the wall. Uh, as well as some people who are just brand new and just starting to do this. And I think it's a really good example of you can start at any level. You know, you just uh, the main thing with, you know, if you want to do comics, make comics. You know, you don't have to be the best artist in the world. You don't have to be, you know, just make, make comics. Just make comics. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's my, uh, that's my <laughs> Okay, settle down. Settle down. I saw a soapbox earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but, but how do I make comics, Wayne? How? <laughs> Where's the kit? I no, bought? no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me amend that. Marcel, stop making comics. <laughs> well, done and done. <laughs> All right. So, so, um, so we have a couple more questions, and we'll open it up if anyone has any uh, questions for the panel. Um, and, again, anyone can just jump in. Um, so how do you feel independent comics are received, specifically in Pittsburgh now, as compared to when you first started? Or, you know, is there any difference? Or um, is the – go ahead. <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're fine. I don't think anybody makes the distinction of independent comics. That's us. That's people yeah. that were thinking about comics in the 90s. Like, it's just not a distinction. Comics are comics, and I think they're accepted everywhere. They're taught in schools locally. They're – the Carnegie Library System stocks a great selection of comics from manga to, um, I'm going to say adult comics, but they're not adult in the sense of X-rated. They're adult in the sense of, like, fanographics and more sophisticated right. uh, literary Content, comics. Yeah. Right. Um, all the way to children's and all-ages comics. Um, whenever I started doing comics, the local alt uh, newspaper, the city paper here, did stories on Street Angel. This would have been 10 years ago. So did the Post-Gazette. So... It's a very welcoming town from my experience, and it has been as long as I've been making comics. And I think those roots go all the way back to Andy Warhol. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think indie, independent is a term that applies in a meaningful way to almost anyone as, as far as readers' interest in what they're reading. All right. Um, I will mention one thing that has changed that I've, that I've noticed, and it's, it's a topical change, but it's worth mentioning, is – Independent comics look different than they used to. For what that means, like you know, if you were doing things yourself before, you were working with your own resources, and so you know the the physical product was going to reflect what you were able to put into it. Um, now there's just so many resources. Like you know what Wayne was saying about if you want to make comics, make com- yeah, go make comics because you know everything's there. Everything like and just in terms of print quality, it's amazing what you can do. You know I've seen some independent things that far surpass you know professional stuff. But 
you know, so in, I think in terms of reception with that, there, it's kind of indistinguishable. So yeah, I guess that goes in, in line with what Jim was saying. It's, it's, it's all the same. It's, yeah, it's good. It's better. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking how one of the different things, like when I started out not around the 90s, the big thing for an indie guy was to call it an ash can comic. And it basically was taken an 8.5 by 11 and folded in half, and you printed that on a copier. And I think that's like kind of a lost yeah. thing nowadays because... Now I can just go online and upload my pages, and somebody sends me the printed book. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's definitely. I think in that sense, it's changed for us <laughs> in, in the way we make them. But uh, but now we, you know, they they. I think nowadays they look professional. You know, but it's just. Uh, do you a think there's game, Do you think you there's know? something to to that to to not making as many comics anymore? Should there be like a process? Like I mean, not that you should make many comics, but. Do you kind of miss that, or is there something about that? <laughs> Jim still does. I still do that. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. over Monday, I, I'm planning oh, to really? make a batch. See, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's, um, what's nice is you have a choice now. Yeah. If you're into yeah. making things, like I, I make, as we said in the beginning, I make books and zines and things. Like Some are very handmade, where I'm individually printing each page, because I like that process. You know, There's a tradition in printmaking, zine making, that I find enjoyable. But if you're not interested in that, like Scott said, you don't need to engage with that at all. Right. You really mm-hmm. can. Like there are all of these services now that are easily available online, where you just upload your file and the comic book arrives at your house, done Pretty and looking professional. Right. So, I don't know. It's it's best of all worlds. Yeah. 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 Find what you want to do. Yeah. It is a matter of how much how much you want to take on individually too. Then, and you can upload them directly to digital distributors, Amazon, yeah. Comixology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't ever have to touch <laughs> a physical book if you don't want to. Or even like a. Even like Image Comics, like you can, you know, uh, basically have a writer artist team and have a completed five issue series and you send it to them. And if they say yes, they'll print it and distribute it for you. So you're essentially not making a comic, but now you have this mass, you know, distribution that you're like, wow. It just seems easier nowadays, depending on what road you want to take. I, I want to let. This, this little group. And by the way, thank you for coming out to listen to us. Thank you, seriously. This is the first time I've been on a comic book panel. This is great. <laughs> I want to do this every week. But I want to give, so there's a reward. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I just can't believe I forgot to say it. So, and sh- you'll attest to this because you'll appreciate this one. So, you know, going back to the history, the history of our local comics, at least during my little lifetime, a lot of us started working at, and I never tell people where I used to work, not because I'm embarrassed, it's just none of anybody's business and I don't want to give them free publicity, but a lot of us used to work at Kinko's. A lot of us. Yeah. And Kinko, Kinko's across Pittsburgh was a ridiculous little thing, because we were all, it was huge and we were all in everybody's business, but there was a lot of us who were into comics. And we would just, you could... Free printing. Well, not <laughs> free. <laughs> we paid for it in ways. But, but you know, I, we just got used to being able to make your comic. Like, I, you go home, you draw, you do your thing, and then you go to work. And you could physically make your own comics. So, you know, I, when other people would bring their work in to be printed and to be, have comics made, you know, every now and again you'd let them know, I make comics, I got you covered, I know what you want. Um, yeah, I no longer work in print services, so I no longer physically 
make my own comics. And can I tell you, that was the one biggest thing for, for me not working in that, that field anymore, not being able to tangibly make my own comics. I have to give that off to somebody else to do. I, I kind of don't like that. I'm a control freak. But <laughs> you all know, know something that I don't tell most folks. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, and last question, then we'll open up for anyone that might have a question or comment. Um, it's kind of broad. So um, what makes you hopeful or optimistic for the, the future of comics? It could be in Pittsburgh. It can be in general. It can Jim be- Rugg, Scott Hendlin, and Wayne Mudd. <laughs> 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 um, the number of people I see doing it, the, you know, like I say, the, these things I mentioned, PICS and, and uh, Pittsburgh Zine Fair and, you know, nationally places like SPX and, and what, still in Bethesda and, and Ape in San Francisco. I mean, you and, you know, what Image is doing, like you say, anybody can put together a project and, and send to them. So, right. you know, things that would have been indie comics right. 30 yeah. years ago are now these giant successful books. Right. Um the number of people doing it, I'm just, I'm stunned. You walk through Artist Alley at any convention, and the number of people doing it is just outrageous. Yeah. They say, in 1992, I knew five of us. It's really encouraging. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, for hope for the future? Yeah, do you have any hope for um, the future? Yes. <laughs> the, the children. <laughs> no, but honestly, there's, you know, just coming to these shows and for how long, and demographics-wise, you know, it was just... It was basically us guys, and yeah. everybody looked like us, you know, the five of us. And now there's, like, a whole variety of people, and it's, like, all ages. And it's it's exciting because a lot of people would think that, uh, uh, you know, like, at a show, like, you you know, like, oh, I, I grew out of this. You know, like, I grew out of, you know, like, it seemed like at a time, maybe there was a time where some people said, I'm too old for comics. But now it seems like comics reach every age, you know. And everybody's included in it, which is pretty pretty sweet. So, so I think that you know, then anybody that wants to create a comic, they shouldn't feel like they're not, they can't be a part of it. So, yeah. All set. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm also, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just no. know if Jim had anything. Nope. Um, comics, where comics are today, far exceeds any hope or dream I, I've had for where comics could be. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, the dream was comics will be accepted, you know, because like my art teachers in school thought of comics as trash my parents didn't want me to read comics and so now it's like i've gotten grants from the local art institutions um like i said they're in libraries you know i teach comics at the school of visual arts like comics are you can get comics from japan from europe from throughout history like it's the greatest time ever to be a comics fan and like i said it far exceeds whatever i was hoping for and all the people i know that advocated on behalf of comics from uh, there's a local guy, Bill Boyshell, who runs Copacetic Comics, who's been an advocate for comics as a legitimate art form as, you know, for decades. Um, I interviewed Gary Groth, who is the publisher of Fanographics and started the Comics Journal, which argued on behalf of comics as being a medium worthy of consideration along with any other art form. And they've both said the same thing, like where comics are today, the opportunities that are available, the material that's available, and the work that's actually being created far exceeds whatever anybody was dreaming of. So... I don't know what the I, – I guess I hope that it stays this way. You know, the, the hope is that everybody seems into it. Like I think there are more people reading and enjoying comics now than has ever than ever, at least in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's my hope for the future is I think people like what they see. It'll yeah. keep happening. Great. Marcel, you had 
you had something to add? Or? He kind of said it. I, I teach art classes still and workshops and things for <clears throat> mostly kids these days, but also for adults. And I just recently, this few months ago, taught one for a group of Girl Scouts. That's a thing now. They get a badge in making comic books. Awesome. And, yeah, and... This was at the Toonsium, so at one point I'm, I'm watching the girls mill around. And mind you, I've done that for years. And when I first started doing this, I've always had girls in, in those classes, but this was all girls. And it was kind of fascinating. So at the time, the Toonsium had uh, their, a superhero exhibit up. And I watched two girls walk over, and they're like 11, 12, and they're talking to each other. And the one is firing off a list of names of those characters like you wouldn't believe, just rattling them off. And then she stops and looks at herself, and she just kind of puts her head down and goes, why do I know all the names of these characters? <laughs> and without missing a beat, her companion looked up at her and went, because you're epic. <laughs> That's my hope for the future right there. <laughs> Okay, we just have a few minutes left. Um, if anyone has any questions, um, you can. There's oh. a mic right there. Is it on? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no questions from you, sir. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. Um, now, my question is, this feels so weird being here. Uh, my question is, being part of this community, if you could talk, has there been a tangible effect on your work as creators that you might not have had working in the back, but being part of this and being part of this crowd, community has affected you in ways that. Like I said, perhaps one half if you were working on your own. Being yeah. judged by our peers. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I mean, seriously, I, having that community of people who look at your work and talk about your work, you, you talk about the process, you talk about writing, you talk about art, you know, we, we look at each other's stuff and make suggestions or whatever. I know working with you on, on Chaos, Chaos Punks, Punks got me back to the page, and right. I thought I learned something from it, and then you and I have talked. You, it, me inking your work, I know you felt like your work grew. I, I think and that's what you get from the group, too, is encouragement. Yes. And expectations, because like Wayne and I, we worked on a page a week. That was our system. Yeah. And I would show up at the comic store every Wednesday, <laughs> and so for me, I was like, I have to hand him a pencil yeah. page or I can't go in there. And I had to have last week's ink. Or, and he had to have the ink page <laughs> to give back to me or he yeah. wouldn't show up for work that day. It's a vicious cycle. So. You also make lifelong <laughs> friends. <laughs> don't, oh. don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else have any? Uh... I was just curious for everyone um, in your work and making comics and stuff, how much of your background is, like, any sort of formal education in, like, fine arts or illustration, or how much of it is just experience and being in the community? I'll, I'll go first. I, I went to the Art Institute, and I actually went for visual communication, so it was more of a, a career for, you know, just doing, uh, you know, like, working in business, you know, that kind of thing, like, for businesses. Um, there were illustration classes, but I think for me, um, after I got out of school and I didn't find a job right away, I found that comics was a good way to, for me to continue to be creative, and that's where I started. So. I studied graphic design. As, uh, I have a BFA in graphic design and painting, and um, graphic design, I always say, is a, is a great field to study for comics because it's the only other art form that combines um, you know, words and, and images. So I was very happy with that and the application of that. Um, but the actual making comics, like a lot of it's probably based on community and if not direct community, just like going up to people and asking them questions about how they do it, you know, and like at events like these shows, I used to I'd run up to the artists and ask them 
things that I just look back and I'm horrified that I would do that. <laughs> but, you know, that, it is how you learn. It, it is a way that I learned a lot of what I know about making comics. I'm, I think of myself more as a writer than an artist these days. I do art, um, but compared to these guys, not, not so much. Uh, I have never had an art class since high school. Uh, or a writing class, for that matter. So a lot of it's self-taught. Um, I have a master's in clinical psychology, <laughs> you know, which I'm not using. Uh, well, I probably am in the You're store every day. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, and, and I think there are so many resources to, to learn outside of the traditional educational model. Like Scott, I went to the Art Institute. Uh, I went there knowing I wanted to make comics, like literally when I was five years old. Like, that was it. Boom. Um, and apparently when I went there, I missed a window where they had comics classes available just prior to when I got there and stopped. And then I went there for two years straight and left, and they reinstituted it. But ultimately, yeah, really. But ultimately it didn't matter because I knew I was still applying everything I was learning to comics. If anything, maybe it made it better because it gave me a, a, a – it opened up the breadth of what I was learning and applying to comics. And I still needed – I needed years of application to really let that filter into my sensibilities and really take root, if that makes sense, hopefully. But um, And then you just do the work. You know, you just make pages and pages and pages. You don't re- go to school, meet people, learn learn as much as you can from as many sources as you can, but ultimately you got to do the work. That's how you learn. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Anyone else? <laughs> What's the toughest part of uh, the comic making process? Ooh. Convincing yourself to show up and do the work. <laughs> yeah, what? it's very time intensive. You kind of have to believe in this idea before you have you know hundreds of hours right. of work ahead of you, and you just kind of have to have faith that it's going to work out more or less how you plan, or maybe better if you're lucky. Uh, but that can be daunting. You know, you start at the beginning and it's like, is that idea strong enough that I'm going to want to look at it for the next 600 hours of my working <laughs> life? You know, sometimes you get a couple hundred hours in and you realize, <laughs> I think I'm done with this one. <laughs> Loneliness is like one of the, it can be rough in this, in this occupation. Because, I mean, you're spending a lot of time. It's you and the drawing table, and there you go. And if you share a studio space with somebody, I think that can assuage a lot of it. Um, Wayne and I have space that we, we share from time to time when he, we both have projects. And this is nice, too, because I can actually praise this person publicly with him right here. So I was working on a project a couple, a couple years ago, and it was extended. It was like one of the first times I, I was – it was me. It was like me and this drawing table day after day after day. And I started going a little stir-crazy, and I had questions about stuff. So I called Jim, and he very graciously, like, he, he called me back to one day, and we had a very nice talk about stuff, and it, it went beyond even what I was hoping for, and it meant a lot. Like, it actually just left me feeling a lot better about my choices. So, you're, you know, the hardest part, doing it by yourself, nice thing. In Pittsburgh, we got this fantastic community, so you don't have to do it all by yourself. Scott, quick answer, and then we got to wrap it up. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Ditto? No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, it's a, it is, I think it is the, the knowing how much work you have ahead of you is the, probably the, 
is probably the hardest part. And you, you have to commit to it, even if it's a nice day and you want to go somewhere, but you know you have to get that page done. You know, I think, so, you know, you can appreciate Pittsburgh weather when it rains. Because then you're like, good, I can stay home and draw and not feel bad about it. So. All right. Well, hey, guys, I want to thank you for coming out. I want to thank the Wizard World staff, especially Donna Chen. Chen, um, thanks to DJ Kaufman for being an advocate for the uh, us local Pittsburgh guys to have a presence here at Wizard World. I want to thank my panelists, Marcel, Wayne, Jim, Scott, and I encourage you to check out all their stuff downstairs. And, of course, I want to thank my co-hosts, Scott, Jared, and, and Sean. I wouldn't be doing this without you guys. So thank you very much. You guys have a good rest of the show. <laughs> I'm doing another panel right now. So. And you can just keep our names there right there.